Welcome to Inspiring Women with Lori McGraw. I am your host, Lori McGraw. I have spent the past 30 years in leadership, and over the years, I've come to learn one thing. Women need women, and not just any women, but inspiring women. Tune in every week to hear from women at the pinnacle of their careers and from others who are just starting out. Episodes can be found at inspiringwomen.show or subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening, and I hope you will be inspired. Welcome to Inspiring Women. I'm Lori McGraw, and every week I have the opportunity to speak with incredible women who tell their stories in their career journeys about how they are making their impact on the world. You can subscribe to hear fantastic conversations every week. This week, episode 113, I'm speaking with Rachel Snyder Good. She spent nine years in Congress as a senior policy advisor. What she tells us? Well, in those nine years, she learned the difference between policymaking and politics. And politics is where she learned to actually get things done. She also learned, even though already being naturally confident, how to deal with very powerful people. And of course, that governing is very hard. Now, as Rachel begins the new year, networking, preparing for a career change from the public sector to the private sector, she's learning to take her own advice that she freely gives to friends, like importantly, being confident and building the muscle memory to ask for what you want. And what she also tells us is that people will surprise you in terms of how they can go about helping you. Hear more about this and other great advice from Rachel. So let's get to it and hear from Rachel. This is Inspiring Women, and I am Lori McGraw, and today I am speaking with Rachel Snyder Good. Now, Rachel is 10 years out of law school, and all of this time, she has been working in the United States House of Representatives, supporting various Congress people. Um, most recently, she spent nine years as a senior policy advisor in the office of the House Majority Leader, Stoney Hoyer, um, and previously, she was the legislative aide for then-Senator Barbara Mikulski, from, from Maryland, um, she was back then. She, she is a graduate of the University of Baltimore School of Law, which where she got her degree 10 years ago and previously also the University of Michigan. Rachel, thank you for being on Inspiring Women. So excited to be here, Lori. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, you know, as we start this conversation, there's a lot of things I want to talk to you about. I certainly want to talk about the House of Representatives, which seems like an interesting place um, to work. We want to get a sort of behind the scenes kind of view. But uh, I think that just, you know, at this time of year, it's the beginning of the year, there are so many people going through job changes. And just as part of the career track that you've chosen as a legislative aide, as a senior policy advisor, um, you're in a job you have been in jobs where there's just by definition change comes it happens now people often sort of attribute sort of career changes or job changes as almost as traumatic as a death so i want to talk to you about like how you think about that how you are pursuing what's next but before we do any of that why don't we start rachel with what are you doing right now what does day-to-day look like for you rachel as you're in between things Absolutely, Lori. Um, So as you alluded to, I left uh, Congress after nine years on the Hill, 
was law school um, at the end of the 117th Congress. And so um, I did that because uh, my boss, uh, Majority Leader Sonny Hoyer, decided to leave leadership and my job was in the leadership office. So um, we had to dismantle the leadership team, which had been in place for over 20 years. And it was actually very good timing for me personally. Um, I had been on the Hill with him for nine years. And before law school, I was with Senator Mikulski for two years, which is over a decade. And um, for those people who know the Hill, people usually don't stay that long. Although people in my office have 20 plus years, um, it was a great place to work. So I kind of made the decision um, probably like eight or nine months before the end of Congress that no matter what happened, the end of Congress would be um, the end of my time on the Hill. And I think that helped me um, manage the uncertainty of what if we win? What if we lose? What if he stays in leadership? What if he doesn't stay in leadership? Because it was really the right time for me. I had done what I wanted to do. I had worked my way up from um, an LA and Hoyer's office all the way up to his senior health advisor. Um, I became his senior health advisor right before we introduced HR3, which kind of became the prescription drug provisions in the Inflation Reduction Act uh, through Build Back Better. It was three months before um, we passed the No Surprises Act, which um, took patients out of the surprise billing mess that we have in our healthcare system. And it was six months before COVID. And so uh, we really did a lot in those three years. And I felt um, burnt out, but also that I had done everything that I kind of came to the Hill to do. Um, and uh, there were things that I got interested in law school that I hadn't pursued because of, you know, atmosphere for, for legal students coming out at the time, there weren't a lot of legal jobs. And, um, you know, I wanted to go back and see uh, what developing a law practice would actually look like. So for me, the decision was, um, you know, this is a clean break, let's let's move on. It was very emotional, as, as you mentioned, um, it was a great place to work. We were almost like a family, it was a great team. Um, but it, it was time to move on. So what am I doing day to day, which was your original question, um, is I was very fortunate that, the, um, that at the end of Congress, when Mr. Hoyer made that decision, um, so many people reached out to me, and particularly women that I had worked with, um, both on and off the Hill, reached out to me to say, how can I help you? What can I do? What are you looking for? What are you thinking? And it was a very emotional time. And also we were finishing the omnibus. So I had a lot of work still left to do. And so I spent a lot of time just saying, thank you so much for reaching out. I'm CCing my personal email here. Like I look forward to reaching out to you in the new year. You know, Thank you so much for thinking of me. And so that's what I'm doing now is going back to those emails and reaching out to people and meeting with them, meeting with their contacts seeing what is out there, seeing what opportunities there are. You know, I'm, I'm very specifically looking for something where I can uh, practice law in um, a more regulatory way and um, uh, something where I can be more in like the digital health telehealth space, which I think is about to really take off based on uh, the flexibilities that we provided in all of the COVID legislation. Generation two, it's been, it's been absolutely explosive over the course of the pandemic. Absolutely. So that's kind of what I'm interested in. But I'm really talking to everybody, even if it's somebody who I don't think um, that's where I want to work or or what I want to do. You can learn from everybody. I really believe that. And anybody who's willing to talk to me, I am talking to. And I've met so many wonderful people. And I live in Baltimore now, so I take the Mark train down. I 
plan a whole day of meetings and I just go around DC meeting various people. And then I come back and um, I've just made a, a number of connections that have been helpful in my job search and also just met really incredible people that I look forward to keeping in touch with, even if I don't end up working with them. So, so I much do- to dig into there, Rachel. And I tell you what, so I mean, I want to sort of like unpack this in sure. a couple pieces. So first of all, I mean, you talk about, you know, your nine years working, you know, in support of the work of the United States House of Representatives in the last three years being some of the most productive ones. And I think we've all seen that, you know, in terms of, I mean, I think most people think of Congress with a lot of skepticism, um, but we also know that the amount of legislation that's been passed in the past several years has been amazing. It's been incredible to see the transfer of leadership in the Democratic Party in the House of Representatives seemed like it happened as a block. So I want to sort of understand what it looked like, you know, from your point of view. Interesting to know that you were working with other people who had many years of experience. So it wasn't just sort of like, you know, a churn of net new people um, all the time. And then I also want to talk about what does it mean to be so focused and clear on what you're doing and then immediately turn to rapid fire networking and how that's fit into how you think about your professional career. But before we dig into any of those things, why don't we even start with, so you went to law school, you obviously are interested in the law, and then you moved to the House of Representatives. Um, Was Congress and um, policymaking always what you were focused and interested in? And back, I mean, just, I don't know if people remember, but, um, you know, 10 years ago, all we were talking about is we had way too many lawyers for the amount of jobs that, um, or that needed, needed lawyers. So give us some, a sense of sort of how you chose and what were you thinking about a decade ago? Yeah, so I grew up um, in Rockville, Maryland, so right outside of DC. And I think if you had asked me in high school what Capitol Hill was, I don't know that I would have had a good answer for you, right? uh, My parents were always involved politically, but it wasn't something I was super interested in. Um, But Michigan is a very political campus and I um, had spent a year in Israel before college and got very involved in politics and uh, particularly the politics surrounding um, Israel on campus and um, uh, had interned for Senator Mikulski um, my second summer of college and interned for her foreign affairs team and just absolutely loved it. Just was like, this is what I wanna do with my life. So that's really where my interest started. And when I graduated, There was fortunately a job in Senator Mikulski's office as a staff assistant open. So I asked the chief, who's now one of my mentors, to please uh, let me have that job. And she said, (laughs) sure. And then the foreign affairs job was what I really wanted, but it was um, taken. And then there was an opportunity to be promoted to a legislative aide, but doing domestic policy. And and, um, I decided to take the opportunity to do that. And it was three months before Barack Obama became president. And so I was working with the senator's health, education, labor, and pensions committee staff um, when we did the Lilly Ledbetter Fair Pay Act, um, when we did the Serve America Act, and then, of course, when we did the Affordable Care Act. And I just absolutely loved it. And um, I always knew that I wanted to go to law school and so many of the people that I worked with on the committee were lawyers and really encouraged me 
less so on the House side that you need um, a graduate degree, but really on the Senate side, um, most people require a graduate degree in order to kind of move up to the higher echelons on the Hill. So I spent my two years on the Hill that I had planned. And even though um, it was when everybody else was going to law school and my parents were like, you have a great job, why don't you stay and change the timing? I kind of felt like I, I know I can do it now. And if I wait, I might never do it. And so I just went. Yeah. And yeah sometimes Rachel, you just have to do that. Yeah. Rachel, what do, what do the jobs look like? I mean, you know, I, I, you know, my understanding of these jobs is just sort of a lot of late nights, a lot of weekends, a lot of sort of um, behind the scenes effort going on stacks and stacks. I mean, the Affordable Care Act, I mean, how many thousands of pages, you know, of legislation um, was that with lots of cross-checking? So what does it look like? What is, you know, what does the behind the scenes, you know, really appear and as you worked on it? So typically what my job that I was hired to do would have been was a lot of kind of low level meetings with like constituent groups that come in. Um, you know, there are a lot of lobby days. P people want to come in and advocate for certain diseases or educational programs or what have you. And then um, writing constituent letters, responses to what they were asking the senator to support, and then kind of supporting the like more senior policy staff. But when we started writing the ACA, um, you know, Kennedy was sick. He was the chair at the time. And um, so he asked the three members who were right below him, um, Harkin, Mikulski, and Dodd, to take certain parts of the bill and be in charge. So our staff for Mikulski's office were writing a third of the bill. And um, that meant that I was the only person in the office taking outside facing meeting on healthcare. Um, so I got a lot of information very quickly and there were a lot of meetings that they couldn't attend. So I would go to meetings and take notes for them. Um, I would set up the hearing room and make sure that the Senator kind of had her materials, had any questions answered, you know, cause they were busy, you know, writing the bill. And so I got a lot of great experience that I otherwise wouldn't have had in that position. Um, my job in Mr. Hoyer's office was a little different. It started when we were in the minority. So um, it's, it's a little slower when you're in the minority because you're just saying no to everything the majority is doing. That's actually a good place to learn. And I think that's why you saw the leadership transition now as we go into the minority. It's a good place to like get your bearings and like figure out all the things that you need to do. And um, as I, I started in kind of a similar position where I was taking meetings with constituents and um, staffing Mr. Hoyer for district events and, and those kinds of things, um, but then was promoted to a senior policy role where I was working with the committees of jurisdiction and the speaker's office and the White House and the Senate to figure out what legislation we wanted passed, how to get it through the floor since that was Mr. Hoyer's role was to decide what bills would go on the floor and what would get passed out of the house and making sure that we had the votes and that our members understood what was going on and that we did it in a way that um, would be successful because, you know, there's policy and then there's politics and you have to, you have to have both in order to successfully 
move something through the legislative process. Do you and feel so, that you learned how to do politics and become, and become, you know, just understand, you certainly understand politics, but did you yourself in your professional um, role need to play politics as part of the job? Uh, yes and no. I mean, we had political staff that were, that's all they did was politics. And yep. I learned a lot from them. And I, you know, I would go to them the way that they would come to me for like a better understanding of policy. It really is two different worlds. Um, but it's also like any other job, you know, there are politics within your office, within other offices, between the people that you sure. work with. You know? Sure. Um, and so I do think that I, that I really learned how to navigate that and was around people who were very good at that. And so learn from them how to best get those, um, things accomplished in that kind of a scenario. One of the things I wanted to ask you is you obviously were also around you know, um, key decision makers and, um, you know, at the seat of power and, you know, certainly Congress and, you know, politics, it, uh, those are very powerful positions. So how did you learn how to deal with power and, um, and, and face that? Did you have to learn it? Were you naturally confident and in, in the face of that? Give us maybe even an example of like how you navigated that. Sure. I'm, I'm a naturally confident person, but it was still hard for me, right? Like these are people who are leading our country. And, um, I remember very clearly my very first meeting staffing, Mr. Hoyer, um, it, uh, it was with um, the head of our local university system. And um, he called me into his office before the meeting to go over the memo. And I stood in the back of the room waiting for him to call me over. And then he called me over and I like stammered something and then I ran out of the room. And then in the meeting, uh, my colleague uh, said, it, you know, it's time for this meeting to wrap up. You need to wrap up the meeting. And I said, well, Mr. Hoyer is talking. He was like, so like, <laughs> he'll talk forever <laughs> if you let him. And I remember being so hesitant to like interrupt him and within a year or two, and this is also partly because our relationship developed, but you know, if he called me into his office, I'd be like, here's what you need to know from the memo. Here are the answers to your questions that I've already anticipated. Um, it's time to get you in the room because we're on a schedule. And then if he was going over schedule, I'd be like, Mr. Hoyer, I appreciate everything you're saying, but it's time to move on like you have your next meeting waiting for you and just but they need to know that they can rely on you to do that right and so it's a back and forth and Mr. Hoyer talks a lot about like letting your staff staff you and I think that was very helpful you know he does new member orientation every year and that's something he talks he talks to his new members about a lot is, you know, how to have that dynamic. Like, yes, you're a powerful person. Yes, you're making important decisions, but like these people are here to support you and and you need to give them the, op you know, you hired great people and you need to give them an opportunity to, to you know, do their job. Well, I love how you even talked about that, Rachel, because I think that for, you know, so many women who are going up the career ladder, they're always starting at a place that is, you know, less than where they eventually want to be, perhaps. And just how you approach that in terms of, you know, like I am a competent person and this is how I'm going to support you um, in a way to allow you to do your job. I mean, it's just, you know, you, you can hear the level of confidence and competence um, in the way you approach that 
So just a great example. Um, I want to sort of go back to you in terms of, you know, the, so going into politics or, you know, into um, the career jobs of supporting politicians and being a legislative aide, being a, a policy um, a policy uh, leader, how, um, how did you think about that? I mean, you know, by definition, those jobs require change. And also, you also said that, you know, it's, it's often sort of a fast paced, not a mill, but just, you know, those jobs turn over kind of quickly, even though you did not and nor did your peers um, in those offices. Did you think about that? Would you did you think was it was it knowing that you would need to change or did that not even really enter your thinking when you chose those positions? Absolutely. It, it came to mind. I mean, my expectation when starting in Mr. Hoyer's office was that I would be there for two to four years. Um, that's a typical time on, on Capitol Hill. And the thing is, he kept giving me opportunities to grow within his organization. You know, not a lot of members have that opportunity, right? Um, but he did. And um, him having that confidence in me gave me the confidence to kind of push further and further. And um, and so I stayed until I felt that I had gotten everything I can from the job and, um, and I had nowhere else to move up. And, yep. you know, I thought that that was going to happen four years ago. I didn't think that the, the healthcare job was going to be available to me. Um, cause you know, on the health, if a job is taken, it's taken, you can't create a new job. Yep. Um, and, uh, I thought I might have to leave. And instead, uh, he took a chance on me and, uh, and gave me the opportunity to have that position. And I was able to really kind of do more with that role than I had ever thought possible before. So um, there is a lot of uncertainty, but I think that there's just a lot of uncertainty everywhere, right? You know, particularly for my generation, we don't expect to be in roles for that long. In fact, you know, all my friends in law school have had four or five jobs in the time yeah. that I've been with Mr. Hoyer. And, yeah. you know, I've had two or three jobs since I've been with him, but, um, you know, that's just kind of how the world is right now. So I it, it is changing. Yeah. And I mean, we're certainly seeing, you know, all of the different changes at the big tech companies, which have often thought to be sort of the, you know, you can stay and you have a nice sort of like um, a consistent journey for decades, but that too is untrue. So you've moved to this sort of like fast paced networking. You talked to us about how you go about doing that. What have you learned about networking? I mean, one of the things when I talk to so many women, um, they reflect on networking is so critical to their career, but often they don't do it sort of soon enough in their career journeys? What have you been learning? Um, you've talked about how you've gone about it, which seems excellent. Um, and But do, do you wish you started networking earlier or has this been the really right pace for um, what you're pursuing next? So I did start networking earlier. As I said before, I had um, known that I was probably leaving at the end of the Congress. So I had started talking to some people who were in roles that I thought might be interesting for afterwards, but I obviously didn't want to do too much because I didn't want to like give the signal that I was leaving. So I couldn't do this fast paced, rapid networking, but I was meeting with people periodically. The number one best piece of information that I've ever gotten about networking and advice is that the, the best connections are your weak connections. And I think for women, this is a very difficult concept. 
in that you have to ask people that you don't know very well for things, right? In your TED talk, you say that women have to ask. It's very hard for women to ask, for some men too, but for women particularly, it's, it's hard to ask. And I'm not shy. I will ask and I will say, you know, I'm looking for this. Do you know about anybody who has anything to do with that? And, you know, the, the people who want to help you will surprise you, right? Like I've had people say, oh, my husband's coworker's wife does this. Let's get you guys in touch, right? You never know who knows somebody who might be able to help you. And I've been very fortunate. I've done that for some of my friends and helped them find jobs. It's one of like the greatest joys in my life, helping mm -hmm. my friends like progress their careers and like find great opportunities for themselves. And the other thing I think women do is they have a hard time asking for themselves, right? They'll do for others, but they won't do it for themselves. And I struggle with that too. And I have friends that are like, I'm helping you, you know, we're doing this. And sometimes you need that. And so having um, like just reminding yourself that like, it's okay that I'm doing this. I have to do this. This is what I need to do. You know, it's kind of like a muscle memory thing. You have to like work on it and it gets easier and you learn to kind of enjoy meeting all the people that you're meeting and, and also like realize how many opportunities there are out there that you didn't even realize that you should be asking for. Yeah. And I think Rachel, just, you know, like um, when you talk about so many women are like you, they're really excellent at sort of reflecting for their friends or for others. Well, here's how I see you. And here's what you might be thinking about as opposed to um, doing it as maybe objectively and clearly um, for themselves so that you are willing to sort of go out there and put yourself out there because it's risky, right? You know, to sort of say like, hey, I'm asking for help in um, this area, but it's great to hear just the people that are surprising you. And I think that's just terrific advice um, for listeners. So I really appreciate that. Let's um, close out with a couple things here. So, um, you know, just really appreciate this conversation because you do have the inside scoop with the United States House of Representatives. What is going on there, Rachel? Give us your opinion as to what is happening in the current United States Congress. Governing is hard. <laughs> And um, it's it's set up to be that way. You know, I had to remind myself a lot on the Hill, like it's meant to be difficult, right? Like our founders set up our Congress and our system of government so that we would have to work together. And sometimes that can be very difficult. And, you know, I came to the Hill when Speaker Boehner was still Speaker. And, you know, he had double digits, I believe, he had like 35 votes that he could lose. And, um, you know, Paul Ryan, I think had like 25 and Kevin McCarthy has four or five, depending on who shows up that day because they got rid of proxy voting. And so that's the same margin we had the last two years, but we also had proxy voting and we had leadership that had done this for 20 years and had systems in place, right? They are... He's a new speaker, right? He was the minority leader, but being being in the minority is easier, as I've said before. You know, you, you're just saying no to everything that the majority is doing, and it's easy for everyone to be on board for that. Um, you know, it's harder when you get in the majority and you have to figure out what you have to say yes to, and um, that is harder. And so, uh, you know, I'm not surprised that they're struggling with 
this slim majority. I am surprised that they have such a slim majority. That was a nice surprise from the election. Um, and I think it's because we we did have so much success over the last couple of years and people are seeing that in their day-to-day -day lives. And so, um, you know, obviously I hope that everything goes well. We have the debt limit crisis coming up. Um, yes. You know, the president and McCarthy are meeting today to try and figure out, you know, what to do about that. Um, you know, I obviously hope that we don't pass that limit. We did that under Boehner and, you know, we, our credit was downgraded and, you know, there are obviously like international financial problems that could occur if we do that. Um, you know, I'm hopeful that there's a way forward. I think there are really smart people in the White House and the Senate and the House that um, know how to navigate this. And, um, you know, hopefully they will be a part of those conversations. And um, well, I hope I hope you're right, Rachel, and you certainly know a lot more about this than I do. And I know more about the debt ceiling than I ever thought I would ever need to know. And so do most Americans as they're reading you know, the news every single day. Rachel, I so appreciate this conversation and I could talk to you forever, honestly, just to get the inside scoop of how our Congress really um, works. But as we close out um, talking to you, I just, you know, and you are in your sort of search for what's next for your own um, career, any last sort of words of wisdom or closing advice for listeners that you might have for them? Um, to be your authentic self coming into what you're doing. That's advice that I was just giving in one of my um, informational interviews. I said, you know, it's hard pivoting from government to the private sector because, you know, you have values and it's easy in the private, in the in government to be like, okay, this is my party. This is someone I align with values. Like this is where I should be. You know, how do you analyze a company? How do you analyze a firm? You know, are their values aligned with me? And the advice I was given, which I'm now giving to other people is if you show up as your authentic self, which I think is sometimes hard to do, um, you'll know whether it's the right place for you or not. And that's something I've tried to do in my interviews. And um, I think that has been really helpful. And um, I'm, I'm trying to kind of see myself the way my friends see me and, and show up as that authentic self as well. Well, I can't wait to see where you land and what that 10 years of working in Congress and what you've learned there along the way will bring to what you focus on next. Rachel, this has been a great conversation. I so appreciate you being on Inspiring Women. I have been speaking with Rachel Snyder Good and Rachel, thank you so much. Thank you, Lori. This has been an episode of Inspiring Women with Lori McGraw. Please subscribe, rate, and review. We are produced by Kate Cruz at Executive Podcast Solutions. More episodes can be found on inspiringwomen.show. I am Lori McGraw, and thank you for listening.